I'm Piers Linney and welcome to Rethinking Business, a new podcast brought to you by NatWest. Let's face it, the path to business success is rarely straightforward. That's why in this series, we're hearing from businesses who are thinking differently, disrupting industries, turning obstacles into advantages and bouncing back when things inevitably don't go to plan. In this episode, I'm joined by a founder whose business has set out to make fashion a more inclusive place. Born from the frustration of not being able to find lingerie and hosiery that matched her own skin tone, Ade Hassan started Nubian Skin in 2014, offering nude colour options to cater for women of all shades. Five years later, the business is now a multi-award-winning venture with customers all over the world and has even earned endorsements from the likes of Beyonce and Jordan Dunn. Ade, it's fantastic to have you on the show. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. Now, this is something very personal to me too, as a young kid having a lack of skin-coloured plasters, mm. even today doing speaking engagements, skin-coloured mics. Yeah. So just tell me the problem you're trying to solve with Nubian skin and how it all came about. Yeah, of course. So I came up with the concept in 2011, so actually probably about eight years ago on the dot. I was working consulting and I'd always wanted to start my own business. And I'd been sort of throwing around different things in fashion that I might be interested in. And it was literally like a light bulb went on. And I thought, you know what, I'm always trying to find skin tone tights or a nude bra in my colour. And um, every time I walked into a shop, I was given something beige or was told that I could wear black. And I remember thinking, if nobody else is doing this, then I might as well give it a try. This is one of those things where you just think, why has nobody done it before? Entrepreneurs often ask that. And the answer often is, they haven't, so mm. why, why don't you? And you're a pioneer in what's called the inclusive nude movement in fashion. So mm-hmm. this is this has grown beyond you in many ways in your business. This is yes. something that is actually a thing of cultural importance now. Absolutely. I think a lot of times people take that for granted. I mean, skin tone, like when you hear that, it's such a, like your skin, it's such a huge part of who you are. And yet when we launched, it was, I think, one of the reasons why our first image went viral was because it was so groundbreaking. People just hadn't seen images like that before. So your background is in finance, very similar to mine. Yes. So how did you go from a career in you know, investment bank, in your case, it was private equity fund management fundraising, to nude coloured skin hosiery and lingerie. <laughs> yeah, it's not it's not exactly a direct path, but I'd uh, I'd done banking for a few years and taking some time off, went to go live in Paris, which had always been a dream of mine. Came back to London and started consulting, which um, was a good experience, but it wasn't my, my cup of tea, but that's actually when I came up with Nubian Skin. And I realised pretty quickly that I was going to need to save more money than I was making at that time. Um, and so it was sort of a rational decision to go back into finance so I could save up with the goal of launching my company in a few years. Into the so business. you had the idea, didn't you, say eight years ago? You mm. realised you wanted to do this. You spent another three years. Yes working at that investment banking or in in consulting to make the money to set up. And then basically for three years, you had the idea on ice. I I remember I'd gone, the summer of the Olympics, I'd actually gone to New York, spent the summer in New York working out of the office there. And I told one specific friend about my idea and um, came back to England. And then in 2013, she sent me a birthday card, which was a little bit late. And across the front, it said, it's time to start living the life you've always imagined. And on the inside was a really nice note about how she loved the idea. She couldn't wait to see me on the cover of Forbes one day. um, And she was really proud of me. And so literally the next day, that was the kick I needed to register the company and start the trademark process and just go, go, go. So talk us through how you 
develop the product? Because it sounds mm. it sounds pretty straightforward, just developing skin color products or new products. Yeah. But you know, skin colors, as you said, it's a very personal, complex thing. And my understanding is that you couldn't just go out there and pick these things off the shelf, these colors. No. So when I actively started working on it, which was in 2013, uh, I remember thinking, okay, well, how am I going to find these colors? Because fabric suppliers don't actually make nudes in brown and I would visit makeup counters and I remember actually walking to a very popular department store and I was on the makeup floor and it was amazing the number of makeup brands and this is in 2013 right so not that long ago that just didn't have colors for darker women so that was an obstacle in and of itself because I had thought to myself that obviously the best place to start is makeup they'll have lots of different tones but there were really only about four or five brands that I could reliably find that had an Think about how many makeup brands there are, but at the time that had a good number of colors for darker skin. And so I'd go to the counters and I'd speak to the ladies and ask them, you know, what are your most popular colors across different ranges? And from that, I tried to match to a Pantone skin tone book. And so I thought I'd matched them, sent them off to the factory and said, okay, these are the colors I want to dye to. Uh, the first samples came back. And they just didn't work. And so it was sort of a year-long process of sending things back and forth, um, saying, OK, we need to make it more yellow or make it deeper, add a bit of red, add a bit of brown, until I finally got four colours that I was satisfied with and four colours that was working repeatedly against people that I was testing it on. I remember in the 80s, my mum started buying cosmetics for black women. It was a yeah, new, new thing. Fair, I fashion that. fair, Fashion <laughs> fair, that's exactly what I was going to say. And it's amazing. Would you find it amazing that these colours just didn't exist? Yeah. In a way, it is mind-boggling, but I think also you think about a lot of lingerie brands are owned and run by people that don't look like me, right? So for them, if nude is selling really well, that's great. They're like, perfect, nude is a brilliant colour. But if they're never looking in the mirror and being like, actually, maybe that nude doesn't work for me, they're not going to think about it. So a lot of it's about who's making decisions in the room and exposure. Let's just touch on that. So generally, have mm. you found that people in business don't look like you? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I can speak definitely for the lingerie industry. When you go to trade shows, the majority of people are white and tend to be older. There are some really cool young brands um, coming up. But yeah, I'm definitely one of the few, you know, lingerie brand owners who's black. And have you seen that as a, problem's the wrong word, but mm. has, you, has it sort of slowed down your progress or have you found it be an issue, something you had to confront uh, sort mm. of overtly? Yeah, um, I think my answer to that question would be twofold. On the one hand, because when we launched, it was so much like direct to our market. We put an image on Instagram and it went mental. But people were asking the question, they were like, but is this a black owned business or is this owned by a woman of colour? Because they wanted to know, they wanted to know if they were being marketed to by somebody who looked like them or somebody who was trying to take advantage. And so on that hand, it's been great because there's the element of authenticity. People are like, okay, you get my experience. And because of that, I want to support you. When it comes to, you know, dealing with buyers or, you know, dealing with manufacturers and suppliers, um, I think it's more like, it definitely, I'm definitely a novelty. <laughs> I'll put it that way. So in the UK, mm. you may be... Um, a, a novelty in some ways, as you call mm. yourself. But in the US, mm. you, there's many, many very successful mm. African-Americans and yeah. companies run by them. It's not the case. So where do you see yourself being positioned then? Because you're it's yeah. a global business, but you're a global entrepreneur. Yes. Um, the US is a brilliant market for us, actually. It's probably our biggest market. And I'd say, you know, people there are very passionate about 
um, you know, especially I'd say women in color in general over there, but especially the black community there, it's just like they love it, right? They're like, yes, we want to support this. Um, we want to talk about it. We want to champion this. And so that's an amazing thing to see. So let's go back to how you develop your, your initial product. You've got these four colors, mm. but just explain what the product is. Yeah. So the very first range I remember was this collection. It was three different shapes of bras. There was a strapless bra, a t-shirt bra and a lace like push-up bra. And then there were four different types of panties. I'm sorry, were you a laundry hosiery expert at this point? No, I was your, not. Your time in Paris or not? <laughs> no, I wasn't quite so an expert at all. You were an investment banker trying to make bras. <laughs> yes. Okay. And so I realised at the very beginning pretty quickly that I... Uh, needed some help because I was trying to find manufacturers and not getting anywhere. So I found a consultant, an intimate apparel consultant, who I uh, made sign a non-disclosure agreement. And then I met with her and told her my idea. And she was like, wow, this is actually something new and exciting. And then I said, well, that's great, but I can't find manufacturers. So she said to me, you need to go to trade shows. And that was sort of opening the door to this whole world of supplies and manufacturers and, you know, basically anything you could want from like the little bows that go on things to fabrics. Um, and that's where I met my first manufacturers. So from the outset, you knew what you didn't know and you brought in a consultant yeah. that had the network or they knew where to go to yeah. find his manufacturers. So describe the launch of your business. You, mm. you kind of went out on social media yeah. and things kind of took off from there. Yeah. And how did you go about doing that? Because many entrepreneurs, that's the holy grail, isn't it? You yeah. You post something on social on social media and you know the world's listening suddenly. Of course. So I'm, um, on one hand, I'm not exactly the right case study because I was such a novice. I didn't use Instagram personally at that point. And it was actually before we launched. So we didn't even have our full website up yet. I just had a holding page and like a little blog updates. And I put this picture of four ladies in our lingerie on Instagram. And at the time, I think I had about 50 followers. And I went off on holiday for a week. And if you scroll down to the very beginning of the Nubian Skin-like feed, there's a post which is like, oh my goodness, we have 100 followers, which now like that's just so not exciting. But back then I was thrilled. And at the end of that week, we had a thousand followers. And in four weeks, we had 20,000 followers. And then all of a sudden, we started getting messages from the Mail Online, the Independent. So there was no active PR campaign behind no. that. It was just, but who picked it up? It was literally everyday woman. So we had our hashtag on it. And it was women who just saw it and were like, well, and men, quite frankly, um, who saw it and thought, what is this? I want it. I've never seen this before. And so they would repost and retweet. Some influencers saw it and then more people would see it. And some celebrities like Tandy Newton, um, Beverly Knight, Kerry Washington would like retweet articles about it because then it started trending. So the media was picking it up. And have you used influencers since then? I mean, again, I always say I'm a terrible example because I was such a novice. I didn't really even fully understand the idea of an influencer. And so we'd see spikes in sales and I'd be like, what is going on? And then the marketing person would be like, oh my goodness, this really cool person has, has posted yeah, about the brand. You're a great example though, because a lot of people, they try and force it. Their brand's not authentic. They're paying influencers to, you know, promote their products. Mm. And the fact it happened to you organically, yeah. it clearly says something about your products and your audience. Yeah, I mean, we were very, very, very fortunate. And now we do work with, um, you know, now we'll gift people stuff and we work with influencers. We haven't worked with any massive influencers because obviously we're, we're still a small brand, so we can't afford them, quite frankly. 
Now you say you don't work with very large influencers, mm. but there is a story you have to share, <laughs> which is you might not have paid her, but there is a particular influencer, shall we say, called Beyonce, yes, that has a, is a customer. So, yeah, how did that come about? So that was a funny story, um, mainly because I almost missed it because I thought I was being scammed. But um, I got an email from uh, one of her stylists saying, "I'm so and so. I'm Beyonce stylist. I would like to." Uh, would you be interested in working together on the formation tour? And we love your product. And I was like, silence. I just didn't respond. And then I sort of looked at it again. And I was like, let me send this to a couple of people I know who work in the industry to see if this is legit. And they came back and they were like, respond immediately. And so I did. And they were brilliant. He was brilliant. He was just like, yeah, we love your brand. This is her size. This is her color. So they clearly at some point used it before. Um, and they said, we just all the dancers on the formation tour and Beyonce herself need um, items because they had a lot of stuff that was see-through. And the formation tour was a pretty amazing tour because she just used or worked with a lot of different black talent. And so it was pretty amazing to be involved in that. And uh, yeah, and so they sent us what they needed. Um, we sent it off to them. And then we started seeing some images coming through from the tour. And I remember sending him an email being like, is this what I think it is? He was like, 100%. So that was so pretty... So you could actually see your product? Yeah, because they had, um, if you go back and look at some of the things on the tour, there's like, they had like these white see-through lace bodysuits. They had like black see-through lace. They just had a lot of see-through stuff. Um, and so, yeah, it was pretty amazing. Now, you had a fantastic launch in terms of social media. Mm. You had Beyonce on stage and your, <laughs> your product. But that doesn't mean people think often that, well, mm. okay, here we go. Yeah. That's not the case, is no, it? So when you not. started, you probably didn't even have a website or a product. Yeah. And even when Beyonce's wearing your gear, it doesn't mean that suddenly, you know, your website lights up with all these, yeah. does it? No, and it's um it's one of those things where, you know, they use the product, but it wasn't like Beyonce herself was going on her Instagram or on TV being like, I'm wearing Nubian skin. Hashtag Nubian skin. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, I think that would cost quite a pretty penny. <laughs> We're definitely not there yet. Um, and so, you know, it was more us saying, okay, this is an exciting piece and sending out that out to our network and then people maybe writing a few articles about it. And so it was great from sort of a perception perspective but it doesn't necessarily interpret into but now sales. when somebody engaged with your brand and your product you've got that story exactly you? so you've got that credibility so given your business and your product do you think mm. you are you suffering from imposter syndrome um i'd say that so much of what i expected was more like okay i expect to sell things right so i expect to sell and i want my business to be successful like those are my expectations but then you know if when you get a letter through the post being like you've been nominated for an MBE or like when somebody like Beyonce stylist calls those are just never things that you expect those are things that are like outside of the day-to-day -day business where you're like it's like a parallel universe so on the one hand things are like very very unglamorous. Was that giving you more confidence it made you more ambitious more determined? It's I guess it's a little bit of both on the one hand it it's great because it's a little bit of validation but on the other hand you're like I'm onto something here and I can't mess it up. And so that's a lot of pressure. Yeah. Because I guess that there comes a point where people will become used to the fact that you can buy hosiery, laundry, whatever the products you launch in mm. these colours. Yeah. But then actually at some point it just comes down to design. Yeah. So right now we're working on the basics. And I think that is still because looking at nude undergarments, 
in different skin tones is still so much at its infancy. Right? It's it's still so new when you look at all the rest of the offerings out there. On the one hand, I think that's it's great because it, it's innovative in that sense. But then we're also now doing things that are a lot more design led because people are like, OK, great, I can get like a plain bra in my color but now I want something cooler or like sexier or I want a different product in my skin tone. And so now it's about us constantly listening to what our customers want and trying to do that and staying one step ahead of the curve or one step ahead of the people that are sort of copying what we're doing. That's another interesting point. So you're one head of the game Mm. curve, but you you mentioned people copying you Mm. because essentially, I don't know if you can, to some extent you can protect your colours like Pantones do, I guess, but... How have you found that in terms of your your partners potentially and retailers mm. just saying, well, actually, we can do this ourselves yeah. um, um, for less? So that is really frustrating. And we've been burned once before. We There was a very, very big US retailer who <laughs> the buyers came up to us and said, we'd love to collaborate, sort of do a X by Nubian skin range. And we spent six months developing it and talking to them. And, you know, I was just really excited. And then you know, sent them samples, sent them ideas, sent them colours. And then they turned around and they were like, actually, we've decided to do this in-house. So that must that be was, really, really uh, yeah, that But was, it's, it's, it's to be expected. It's That's a lesson a, learned. Yeah. It was a lesson learned. And so you have that. Um, and then we also have had literally every major lingerie, like big lingerie brand order our product. Some of them do it a bit discreetly. Well, they'll just like send it to a random address. And some of them literally it's it's to head of product development of X. And so we know that people, you know, they once people start talking about you, people start going, hmm, that's interesting. Maybe we can pinch their colors or maybe we can do it and do it cheaper because we have the muscle to get factories to do it for us cheaper because we know that they're going to do all this other stuff for us. So that's always a risk. Because essentially, it, it's a dye, isn't it? It's the, yeah. Obviously, you've got, you've got the design of the laundry, but the mm. people design, you know, beautiful laundry already. Yeah. But so your barrier to entry, I guess, in time, is going to become, to some extent, the brand, isn't it? Nubian skin. Yeah. And is that something you you focused on, or is that something that yeah. we very focused on just the product? Yeah, no. So it was very, very important for me, the brand. Our imagery is incredibly strong. And that's something that a lot of people say, right? And that's the reason why the brand went viral. I think there's other brands, smaller brands who've maybe tried to do it and they just don't quite get it. But for us, it was very, very important. One, the imagery. One, making sure that the skin tone is a skin tone as opposed to just a random brown that you happen to find. And then there's the authenticity. People, especially now, people want to know who's behind the brand and they want to know the brand story. And people are quite discerning about that as well. And your brand's very much about not just the colour, but real women, real mm. women of colour as well, yeah. isn't it? It's, you know, it's, it's every single size, you mm. know, you haven't got the sort of a standardised model. Yeah. I mean, we'll never be able to cater to 100% of the people out there, but we definitely take seriously looking at who our target market is and making sure that we're being inclusive. Now, you're at that exciting point in your business where you've, you, you've done a lot of the hard work, you've mm. proven that there's a market, you've created a product, there's a product market fit now it's a question of how you scale your business up Mm. and what is your plan for that because this is a time now where you might require capital Mm. quite a lot of risk and your business is going to have to evolve very quickly yeah so really the focus now is on looking at fundraising um, bringing in outside investment and outside expertise but also building the team because at the end of the day a company is as strong as its team and so really making sure that we're harnessing all the good work that we've done so far and building a team that can help us take things to where we want to be. And this is going to be your first external 
equity fundraising. Yes, exactly. I understand you were on the NatWest Accelerator program. How did you find that? I am. I had a friend who'd done it and she was like, you have to do this thing. It's like changed my life, changed the business. And um, I applied and I got in and I was ecstatic actually because I think sometimes when you're a sole founder and you're an entrepreneur, you're very much in your head and you have all these ideas and yet there's you're not really bouncing it off of anybody. And so it's been an amazing program because you sort of given a direct report that you sort of, like almost like an accountability manager almost, you know, who really sits down with you and is like, it's a time where you're looking at your business goals. So you're not worried about, you know, payroll or like, you know, a collection being late or anything. It's literally right. We're looking at your business. Also you as personal development. To a degree, but more it's like looking at your business and saying, okay, what are your goals? Well, the actions that you're taking, taking you to those goals. So it made a um, real difference. Yeah, it's made a massive difference. It's actually been very, very helpful. And I actually applied to be in the program again for the next six months. And so I'm I'm still in the program. And so it's been it's been phenomenal. So what have your main obstacles been along the way? I, I can get a sense of what they've mm. been. But what are the things that you, you'd share in terms of, I wish I'd known this? Yeah. Or the things that you woke up in the morning and thought, how am I going to get through today? One of the things, at the beginning, it was incredibly valuable actually getting a consultant in because I knew nothing about it. But once you start running a business, you're learning a lot and you know more about your business than anybody else. And for me, one of the probably things I'd say avoid is, you know, when you are running a business, just have confidence in yourself and what you can do um, and not necessarily always looking for an outside fix because sometimes you know it better than somebody from the outside. Um, Another major obstacle I'd say was, because we create all of our colors, everything we make has to be custom dyed. And so that is very expensive. But it's, you know, that's it's part of what we, it's what we do. It's how we produce our product. And then I think when people think about starting a business, you're always thinking about, okay, I just need to start this business. So, so much of your focus is on starting. But actually, the hard part is running the business. And nothing's an overnight success, right? You always hear about like the overnight success 10 years in the making. It's just that every day, like getting on with it and the grit that that takes to when you do have disappointments or when things are boring or when they're not glamorous, because 99% of it is not glamorous. You're just sticking to it and, and making sure you're putting one foot in front of the other. And the point is that nobody sets out to start a startup. <laughs> you know, yeah, exactly. You're, you're not trying to create a startup. <laughs> it will always be a startup. Yeah. You're trying to test an hypothesis mm. and prove that you're, there's a, a problem you're solving and there's a market for it. Mm. And then very quickly, it's about ideally, if you, once you've done that, scaling up. Mm-hmm. And what have you found? I mean, I mean, how many people in the team now? So there's just three of us. So it's a small team. Mm, I guess you've, out, team. you've outsourced. Yeah, we outsource a lot of things, right? So we have a factory. We've got picking and packing done by a distributor and you know, IT, things like that, that, those things are outsourced. And you've kept it tight. So are you yeah. finding yourself stretched in terms of your own capabilities? Because as companies start to grow, you begin yeah. to bring in expertise. Of course. And you, know, and you have to manage that expertise. Yeah, so absolutely, um, which is one of the reasons we're fundraising. And also looking to build the team because we know that we're now at a place where, okay, we need we need more resources. So your business is very much an international business. Was that something that you, you planned or was it organic? It just happened? It just kind of happened. Um, you know, when we were getting inquiries and when we started, when the website went live, we realized a lot of the orders were going to the US or going to Paris or wherever. And so we, um, you know, then it's just a matter of shipping over there. And that's been a learning curve, just figuring out how to lower costs. And how have you done that in terms of shipping? Mm-hmm. Are you, every night you're going home and 
mm-hmm. <laughs> in your front room picking and packing um so we've done a, we've <laughs> everything's come full circle when we started off we had a third party logistics company doing it and then we bought it in house for about 3 years um where we just had big space and sort of created a warehouse within the office and at one point a warehouse across the road from the office and then in a storage facility. So we've just kind of tried everything um, and then just had a shipping company that would pick up the packed goods and take it off for us. But now we're back to a third party warehouse that we're really happy with. And your product costs more to make, I guess. Because yes. say the design's the same, the materials the same, but the dyeing process mm. is more expensive. Yeah. And is that something you've been able to, have you soaked up or is your product more expensive and your customers are happy paying an extra mm. to get that So that it's color. definitely one that we've tried to find a balance on. Our product is probably similarly priced to like a good high street brand. And so, yeah, our margins are probably thinner, but also I think our customers realize that it is something that's pretty special. So, you know, it's all about what people buy into um, or what they ascribe worth to. And so hopefully they continue to do that for us. But I'm assuming that's temporary, that if you raise the mm-hmm. finance you want and you start to scale, exactly. then your, your costs are going to go down. Exactly. And so scaling is key. And I know what you're going to say, I think, but where do you see your business in five years? Yeah. So I want it to be a lot bigger than it is now. And I want it to be the default brand for when somebody's like, okay, I need a nude bra or a nude bodysuit that matches my skin tone. I want us to be the default brand and I want us to be the brand where when a woman walks into a shop, like a black woman or an Asian woman, walks into a shop and thinks, okay, I really just need a new pair of tights, that they walk into, you know, John Lewis, Selfridges, whatever, um, they can see it there and they can just pick it up the same way that anybody else would be able to pick up something. And that's what I want for the brand. Would you see it limited to laundry and hosiery? Clearly not, you've got shoes, but... Mm. You know, if if I'm a if I was a woman of colour, mm. what can I expect to buy yeah. from Nubian Skin in terms of the whole range? Um, so to be honest, I want it to I want us to be excellent at what we're doing. So I'm not trying to be all things to every people, but I want us to be doing excellent lingerie, excellent hosiery, excellent intimate, I'll say. So more than just lingerie, but intimate apparel, so undergarments. And I want us to be expanding in that range because there's so much in there. Um, and also swim because I'm very excited about the swimwear. So for the listeners, you've come from a, a finance background. You've started your business. It's growing at a fantastic pace. But share some tips. You know, mm-hmm. What is it you've learned along the way which you think that somebody perhaps who's thinking of going into fashion, mm-hmm. um, maybe not something as specific as your business, mm-hmm. what are the tips you'd give them? So the first thing I would say is just be very prepared to work hard. A lot of times, especially in fashion, people think it's very glamorous. And it's a business like any other, so a lot of it's just hard work and things that are very unglamorous, like figuring out boxes and warehousing and logistics. So just note that it is not all glam and, you know, like fashion shoots. That's a, that's a small part of it. And I'd also say, you know, be confident in yourself and your abilities because oh, there's a lot of stuff people think, oh, I just can't do this, like it's so much. But actually, you just need to break it down into little steps. So I say one of the tips that I always give for entrepreneurs is put down where you want to be and then literally plot every single step, whether that's, you know, registering a domain name or finding a web developer or um, a warehouse, like whatever it is, put down every single little step and plot it backwards to where you are now. And so from there, you're literally just doing one task 
at a time because that's all it is. It's literally taking one step and the steps are small and sometimes they're very boring, but it's just consistency and doing them and following your plan. And I think that is probably the biggest thing I can say because that's how you get anywhere, really. So what you're saying is it's, it's about execution. Exactly. Execution is key. Having a plan and actually implementing it. Yeah. And when things don't go right, yeah. it's working out why. Yeah. And then getting back on your horse. That's all for this episode of the Rethinking Business podcast from NatWest. My thanks again to Adi Hassan, the founder of Nubian Skin, and thank you to you for listening. To discover more about the topics we've discussed today and to read other stories of people who are rethinking business, just search NatWest Business Hub or head to natwestbusinesshub.com where you'll also find information about local events and support. I'll be back in a week's time with our next episode, so make sure you hit subscribe if you haven't already. But until then, from me, Piers Lenny, thanks for listening.